Listener Production. Hi, 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 hi. Hello. Yes, hi. Oh, I see you over there. Welcome. Oh, thank you. Stop, stop, stop. Thank you guys so much. Welcome to come out wherever you are. This is a safe space for curious people to learn more about the coming out experience. So, congratulations. You are now a part of this beautiful community. And because this is a podcast about the coming out experience, it is only fair that I go first. My name is Sean Zepps. My pronouns are he, him, and I am a homosexual. I first came out in early 2000, so that would mean that I was 12 years old. And I last came out... I honestly can't think of the last time I came out, but because of what I do for a living on Instagram, I feel like I come out all the time. Because when you come to my bio, it says, proud gay dad. So I'm probably coming out to, you know, millions of people an hour. Or, you know what I mean? Because I have so many fans, I'm kidding. Today, we are welcoming a brand new member to the Come Out Wherever You Are family. You might know him as Louis or Louis. I'm going to call him Louie for the conversation today. Louie, please introduce yourself. Tell us when you first came out. And if you can remember, tell us the last time you came out. Hello, everyone. I'm Louie Hansen. My pronouns are he, him. I first came out when I was 18. And kind of in a similar vein to you, I feel like the last time I came out would have been a couple of days ago when someone slid into the DMs and was like, wait, are you gay? But in those instances, I kind of just say no for fun and to just test their reaction. It's just the inner troll within me that sure, just wants sure. to be like, no, head pride. And a- exactly. And after a lifetime of having to come out uncomfortably, you're like, I'm in charge now. You're in my direct messages. Yeah. And so fun to see their reaction to be like, oh, okay. When it's like, have you seen my grid? Very not straight. <laughs> Louis Hansen is a writer, presenter, podcaster, and one of the funniest people on the internet. If you don't believe me, seriously, just search Louis.Hansen on TikTok and enjoy. You're welcome. Louis hosts the podcast Pedestrian Daily and writes a column for GQ called Asking for a Friend, where he answers some of life's most important questions like, are picnics really even that good? And am I lonely? Before we dive in, there's just one important element I have to flag. Towards the end of this conversation, we do discuss suicide. If this is triggering at all, please remember that there is support. You can contact Lifeline at 13 11 14 for crisis support. Okay, here's Louis. So one of the things I really like to do, especially when I'm getting a chance to talk to someone for the first time, I really don't feel that we can have a meaningful conversation about your coming out journey if I don't understand really who the hell you are, like where you came from, what time in human history you were experiencing being a child, because that just kind of makes up what would have stopped you from or potentially allowing you to speak about your sexuality. Where did you grow up? So I grew up in Melbourne, south of Melbourne, kind of close to the beach. Um, came into the world in, uh, at, in 1995. What a great um, year. Hey, really fun year. Lots going on. <laughs> For you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You couldn't, you couldn't ask me much about it. Don't remember much from the year 1995, but came into the world. Um, and yeah, so I grew up uh, in Melbourne with uh, my mother, father, and older brother. Awesome. Because I'm not Australian, I can't just infer a bunch about Melbourne. I know what I know about it today, which is that it is a seemingly accepting, left-leaning, creative, fun, young environment. I do not know what it would have been like in the 90s, and I definitely don't know specifically where you grew up. Was it an accepting place? Were you surrounded by people who looked different to you? Would you have seen potentially queer people around? No. <laughs> Next question. Yeah, no. So I do, I definitely do agree that, yeah, Melbourne right now, I mean, for me, I, when I think about Melbourne, I'm like, you know, a cultural hub, it, you know, um, uh, you know, a very like, you know, queer friendly, inclusive, like multicultural environment. Mm. Um, so I grew up in Bayside, um, which is very, very like private school, straight white vibes. Got it. And 
Yeah, honestly, I didn't see… I don't think I knew anyone who was remotely not straight. <laughs> um, and they definitely went a bit on TV or anything around that time, I imagine. Not in a no. powerful way. Maybe Dane Edna. Yeah, absolutely not. And I mean, I my first school that I went to was um, a very Catholic primary school. Um, so, you know… There's that. <laughs> yeah, then I uh, went to a private school um, until I graduated. And it was just, yeah, along, along the vibe of like no real explicit homophobia. I mean, you know, you do witness the occasional jab um, mm. aimed at random people. Mm. But it was more so just this like implicit homophobia. There wasn't any representation. I mean, you know, it's the classic tale of like growing up in high school and really just not seeing anyone not straight. Um, and so you kind of grow up, um, you know, molding yourself to kind of fit into what you think is the norm. Um, especially in, like in school, you want nothing more than to fit in, which mm. is like a huge contrast to when you finish high school and you're like, I just want nothing more than to stand out. But <laughs> in that time, you want to fit in. So... Yeah, I think that's where the story begins. Okay. <laughs> and at what point along that journey from growing up in an environment, which let's just be honest, is the world in the 90s, where the only time you hear the word gay, it's usually being chucked at someone as a slur. Maybe you're hearing some other words that aren't so kind. You're 100% sure that what it means to be a male at that time is to be masculine, to be interested in sports, and to want to date women all the way up until you decide to come out, at what point do you realize in your journey, I am definitely not interested in women? <laughs> well, it took longer than one would think, mm -hmm. considering that when I was a child, um, we're talking, you know, primary school days, we're talking straight out of the womb, I was the most beautiful, effeminate child that you would have ever seen in your entire life. I came out of the womb prancing, literally <laughs> prancing. Yes. Um, I was obsessed with the Spice Girls. Literally, I'll, I'll need to show you um, some pictures, but I had like a Spice Girls Duna cover, Spice Girls pillowcase. My entire wall behind me was filled top to toe with um, Spice Girls posters. Um, and I like loved, I like wanted to do ballet and I was just so, so effeminate. Mm. And obviously then you you, you go into, like I... I I'm very good at, I think, reading kind of social cues and absorbing the environment in around me. And it didn't take me long to realize, you know, entering primary school um, and immediately kind of hearing people's associations with like, oh, you like the Spice Girls or you like this or you gay. Yeah. Um, yeah, it didn't take me long to realize what I needed to do in order to almost get through school. So entered school and I always kind of say I really felt like I mastered the art of repression um, because I honestly didn't like say the words like I am gay to myself until after I left high school in year 12. And wow. literally in high school, you'd think surely those thoughts would have come in. But I just, at the time, I really didn't think that I thought those thoughts, or maybe I did, but they were just so repressed because I was just in survival mode, yep. you know, fight or flight. So you're like, any thoughts like remotely related to like non-heterosexuality, um, let's not dive into that. Yeah, <laughs> I totally get it. I, I can understand why some people might think that, specifically people who are straight. Like, well, if you're this thing and you knew it was bad and you had the thoughts, like why wouldn't you put it out into the universe? But also... You said it already. Being young is incredibly difficult for anyone, let alone someone who's different. Like if you're in a majority, it's tricky to deal with pimples and trying to fit in and maybe trying to get laid. And so if there's this like additional layer that reminds you that you're different, why would you not attempt to suppress so that you could survive or potentially thrive? The only way to thrive is to suppress, I would imagine. I'm interested though in, in that, suppression, did you find yourself having to act or lie? Did you date women? Did you uh, tell people that you were straight proactively? Like, is a part of that suppression that you're putting on this armor? Or are you just moving through life kind of as a void? I think it was about, I, I, I would say developing that armor for sure. And 
really just, I feel like, stripping back everything that made me unique mm. to the way that, I don't know, my voice um, might have inflected or if I was sitting, I might have crossed my legs, heaven forbid. But just literally random, like, just like physical movements as well, um, denying any hobbies that I didn't think fit into like the masculine stereotypical norm, really just stripping back to the most like hot dog water, bland flavored human being because I was so just petrified of people thinking that I was gay. Mm. Um, so I definitely, uh, I think, assumed the the straight facade quite well. Um, like I dated women, I, I slept with women and like that was all like, that was fine. I, like, I literally say like, when I first like slept with a couple girls, um, it was fine. It was good. And then obviously down the line, you know, when I started sleeping with the guys, I was like, okay, so this is what it's actually meant to feel like. But I think, yeah, I just remember going through high school in autopilot, mm. no emotions. And yeah, I think that definitely came to bite my ass down the line when I left high school. And then I was like, wait, who am I? Yeah. Did you spend any time considering what life would have to be like for you as you got older? Because I'm projecting here, but I have a similar journey to you where you're sleeping with women and it's fine. It's not terrible by any means. It just is. But you're you're like, you're on dimmer, right? You've like taken the light switch and you've like dimmed it down a little bit and you're not actually listening to the music that you might want to listen to or wear the clothes that you might want to go to. But did you picture a future and, and did that future involve you being with women? Like what was the vision down the line after you graduated? <laughs> well, in in high school, that was definitely my vision. It was like, no, I am, I am straight. Mm. No, I, I am. <laughs> and I'm going to have a very beautiful family, a very beautiful heterosexual, uh, you know, nuclear family. And that is going to be the norm. And uh, you will continue to not feel. <laughs> wow. Now, I... Only because you say that, I have to take a step back, and I have two questions that are important. My journalistic integrity would demands that I ask what Spice Girl you were. Mm. I'm sorry, I just have to. No, like, th thank goodness for that integrity. I baby always, spice. I don't know. I'm just okay. No, it's such cliche, but yeah, baby spice. I love baby spice. Me too. My, my favorite color is pink. So. Okay, there we go. Got it. <laughs> Your baby spice as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely, hundred percent. Period. But I was like beautiful, I was pretty skin, blonde hair back then. The reason I'm asking that, which is kind of a joke, but also quite serious, is a serious question, which is parents who would allow a child to express themselves that way at home are obviously a different breed of parents. Someone, I'm guessing, more likely to be accepting. I'm guessing more likely to have done the work to consider, is this child different? I don't know if that's true. But back then, when you're picturing a life with women, what do you think your parents would have thought? Do you think your parents would have been cool if you were gay? I'm just wondering, as we try to understand what holds you back from speaking your truth, your family dynamic, your parents and your siblings are obviously a part of that process. Looking back, I think they would have been <laughs> sad if I had turned out straight. <laughs> no way. Well, I need to say my parents are the most, I, I'm so unbelievably fortunate to have the parents that I do. They are just like personified teddy bears. They are the most loving, caring people on the planet. Um, and, you know, I'm so fortunate to have such um, a really close relationship with them. They're my best friends. And yeah, looking back to to their credit, like they would have known growing up with mm. a young little boy who, you know, wore nothing but pink and was like listening to Spice Girls. You know, there would have been some, you know, uh, some wheels in motion thinking, okay, mm. it'll be interesting to see, you know, how our little child turns out. Yeah. <laughs> if he is straight, there's a special woman out there yeah. who <laughs> loves a pink wearing Spice Girl super fan boyfriend. Exactly. And I've actually had quite a quite a few chats, you know, with with mum and dad about this, uh, you know, following my my coming out. But something that remained with me was mum said to me, she, you know, she always remembered the quote, like, show me the boy at seven and I'll show you the man. And she said that when I was seven, she saw this like beautiful child with, you know, all of 
their passions and their dreams and, you know, this real individuality about them. Um, And then mum remembers seeing that kind of fade away going through through school Mm -hmm. um, and feeling quite, I guess, sad about it. And we were distanced from one another because I distanced myself from everyone during that time. Yeah, she said it was a real kind of full circle moment once I came out and was starting to, you know, rediscover all my quirks again and my individuality that she said, okay, now I'm starting to see in a real full circle moment that seven-year-old child emerge again, which is really beautiful. I've never heard that saying about the seven-year-old, but it is quite a big part of my work as a queer adult, and I'm sure your work as well, is trying to unpick what part of your adult personality is is real. Like, how much of it is my authentic self and how much of it would not exist if when I was seven, the world was different. If mm-hmm. when I was seven and I wanted to go to school with Spice Girls and it just was fine because people were more accepting, well, would my voice be higher? Would my hair be different? Would I look the same way? Would I act the same way? Would I have the same jobs? And I think it's hard for straight people, even the best allies, to understand that fully, that when who you are as a person feels like a direct attack on the way the world works, how you start to kind of just suppress every element of you. You were the one who said your inflections in your voice, and it reminds me that for many of us, even our voices now are in question as adult. Like, is this low register something I forced for so long that it's become the way I talk? And if I was allowed to be myself when I was a little bit younger, if I would actually probably settle something more like this. Definitely. Fascinating. So thank you to your mom for bringing up that no. seven man thing. Literally. I, it, uh, it really stuck with me. And I feel like, yeah, kind of as you said, like a lot of what I think about now is just trying to reconnect with that childhood self. I think there's something really beautiful about that. Mm. But I do need to ask, what were you like at seven, Sean? <gasps> the microphone switch. I'm probably a lot like you, like um, flamboyant. I was a dancer. I was a singer. I was an actor. I was like incredibly outgoing. I uh, was wildly passionate about God and my religion and didn't understand at that time that like being extremely religious was a problem in the way that I presented. But everyone says the same thing, like a a ball of energy, funny, silly, but very, 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 very flamboyant, like an extremely. My mom said to me recently, if you were growing up now, I would have thought, this person is a woman. Like this person will be a woman or is partially a woman or Mm -hmm. like she didn't have all that language to know trans, non-binary or even really any nuance within the queer community. But yeah, she was like this, I'm raising, uh, I'm raising a young girl basically. Mm -hmm. This beautiful flamboyant energy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was going to say, I guess that's the sad but beautiful work that we get access to as queer people, which is why I think we're superpowers, superheroes with Mm. superpowers, is you get to do the work to go back to who you were at seven and go, well, what part of that did I miss an opportunity to explore and then grab onto it potentially? I think a lot of people who who aren't forced to maybe lose friends or family members or struggle with the potential of not being... Um, loved or accepted get to go back into their past and go what happened was I happy is there work here to be done whereas Mm. I do think a lot of queer people are kind of forced through that journey and it's a beautiful journey to kind of revisit your childhood and go wait a second what did I miss out on that I wanted to explore further absolutely and I mean I just look back like I think I try to think back to those moments as a kid like I'm trying to imagine the moment where I ripped down all the Spice Girls posters uh. um, or like took off the Duna cover even though I didn't want to. Mm. Um, and to just think about how heartbreaking that would have been to just strip away yourself of the things that make you you. Yeah. So I definitely think that my experience, you know, it's n- isn't uh, an isolated experience. I think it's quite a universal experience Clearly. in the queer community <laughs> we'll find. And I think that's why so many of us, um, you know, late teens, early 20s, come into this, you know, world after school and just think, 
uh, okay, I have to find who I am all over again. And thus begins, you know, the second adolescence. Yeah. It's funny. I, when I started to record this show, I did feel that I was incredibly unique and special. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I am unique and special. But yeah. still, you know, I really did feel like my childhood was a unique one. And, and I grew up in, you know, a smaller town. But, you know, it might have been unique comparatively to maybe some of the kids. But when I get to hear you talk, even your intro, dipping into what interests you and excited you, I've now had 10 conversations, 100 conversations over the course of this podcast and then outside where I'm starting to come to terms with the fact that there were all of these other boys in the 80s and 90s all across the world, right? I'm American, you're Australian, literally polar opposite parts of the world, both listening to the Spice Girls, both obsessed with Baby Spice, both interested in dance (laughs) and singing, and both going, shit, this is a problem. This is not good. Suppress, hide, and that's the only way to survive. Who then found themselves later. And that's why it's really useful to have these conversations because hopefully lots of other young queer people who might be growing up in a modern time but are still doing the same thing can hear it and go, wait a second, they both came back to who they were, maybe I don't need to go through that middle period of running away from it. Definitely. I think that that's why this podcast is such, you know, an educational resource and tool for people to listen to because, you know, hearing stories like this and being able to see yourself and hear yourself in in other people, I think is what it's all about. Mm. Preach. Thank you. Can you just cut that and then turn that into an ad and run it on the radio? Thanks. Exactly right. Um, I'll be invoicing you later. <laughs> when did you uh, decide to like come out? So you basically fully graduated. You're straight. You don't explore it. What happens that that changes <laughs> that journey? So I finish high school. I say, thank God I got through that. I don't know how, <laughs> but I got through it. So we finished that. That is in the past. But okay, I don't know who I am anymore. Yeah. <laughs> As I said, very bland hot dog water vibes. So that was, I finished school in 2013. And then 2014, I was like, you know what? Right. I'm going to do this very stereotypical uh, gap year after school. I'm going to, you know, earn some money. I'm going to go over to Europe. Yes, you are. Yes. And also at that time, I'd always, I've always loved writing. I've loved journaling. I love diary entries. Um, and so kind of right after I finished year 12, I think I just decided like I'd spent so long living, I felt on other people's terms. Mm. And this was a sign that I had to start taking control of my own narrative and, and you know, owning my own sense of self. So I started, I opened this like Word doc late one night. This is at 18 at like 2 a.m. And I remember I just started writing. And I just started writing. I started crying. It all started coming out of me. And then, you know, over a period of two months, when I felt brave enough, I'd come back to this secret Google Doc, which was saved under in like four different folders under, I think it was like English assignment too. Of course it was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I would keep typing out this letter Um At the time, I didn't really know what its intended purpose was, but I was writing a letter just about how I'd felt so, you know, ashamed and how, you know, it was time to kind of just be myself unapologetically. Mm. And, yeah, I remember finishing it one night and being like, okay, this letter is done. And I knew it was done because, look, I'm not not a huge person when it comes to, like, signs and stuff, but I finished it and the word count was 2014 words. And, bitch, it was 2014. That was a sign from somebody. It was Baby yeah. Spice, bitch. <laughs> yeah, it was. <laughs> Baby Spice saying, be gay. Yeah, come out. Yeah. And so I finished this letter and I think a couple weeks later, and this was probably right before I went, I went away to Europe, I decided to print it out and uh, show one of my closest friends, Ashley, Ooh. and just have her read the letter. So it was very dramatic very scene from a movie. We drove down to um, Brighton Beach and the sun was setting and we were sitting just by the ocean and I whip out this letter and I'm just like, read this. And then she reads the whole letter. I take the letter from her. I go to the ocean and then I put it in the water and watch it dissolve. Stop it, you don't. This is so good. No, like I'm so extra. I love it. But in the letter, wait a second. In the letter, does it say I'm a homosexual or is the letter still vague? 
No, it's it's um it's time. I'm gay. Very very okay, um okay, okay. very final. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. very very purposeful words. And by that point, I'd also started speak looking at myself in the mirror and just saying like. I am gay, I am gay, I am gay. I would say it over and over and over because I knew that when the time came and I was to tell people that I was gay, mm. I wanted to sound confident and not as though I was, you know, uh, fearful of saying I am gay. Sure. I wanted to invite people in by, you know, just sounding sure of myself. So, And we have to come out to ourselves a long time before we have to come out to others. And sometimes looking at yourself in the mirror, writing it down on a piece of paper is the first conversation. It's like, yeah. am I? Is this real? Am I comfortable with this? Can I handle this? Yeah. I get it. <laughs> So then, um, and then uh, that was obviously received so well, as was, you know, every single response to my, you know, coming out, um, because I'm very, very fortunate. But then, you know, following that period, I would then occasionally whip out the letter to someone new if I was a bit drunk. I had a couple bottles of wine and was feeling confident. And then, yeah, went away to Europe for six months, didn't get with a guy. I said, oh, still, still, uh, no, thank you. Sure. And spent six months away. And I think like the second day that I'd come back from Europe, I was 19 now, and I just ripped off the Band-Aid and told everyone in my life over, you know, the course of 48 hours. Amazing. So obviously the Ashley conversation didn't, it went well, but it didn't jumpstart your comfort in, in telling your parents. Um, what was your fear in telling your parents? Were there any? They obviously sound like really wonderful people, but at that time... You, of course, there's still question marks attached to like, what's the ramifications of this information? Most of us think of our coming out journey as the, as the time our parents are truly aware of who we are. They bring us into the world. And so once they know your truth, then, then you can kind of live the next chapter of your life. But I'm interested in kind of what you thought might happen and then how they responded and maybe the juxtaposition of those two things. Mm -hmm. And there was a huge juxtaposition. I mean, you know, looking back now, I realized that all the barriers that, you know, were around me were the ones that I had set up myself. Mm. And I was truly in the way of, um, I guess, letting letting everyone in. Because, you know, after so many years of being like, no, I need to be guarded and I can't express who I am, it's hard to kind of switch that overnight sure. and then go, okay, it's time to let people in and just be vulnerable. So... I think, you know, like Ashley's response and, you know, a couple of my friends after that, like it was all so supportive, but it was just, I needed to get, <laughs> I needed to get past, yeah, the own barriers that I created in my mind. And I knew, I knew that mum and dad would be so supportive. I knew it would be a shock. Mm. And I'm sure it shocks some listeners to think that they would find it a shock, but I had gotten to the point like, end of school where I had assumed the straight facade so well that it would have been a shock for me to come out. And yeah, but I was just, I was just scared to show people, I don't know, I was going through so much turmoil. Like I wanted to just be brave and, you know, speak my truth, but I was just still really scared to let people in. Mm. Um, then, you know, cut to the moment that I actually do come out to them. And it was... Oh my, well, it was definitely a shock, um, but definitely not a shock in a bad way. I think they were outside and I'd, I'd, I remember just, I was speaking to my cousin at the time, um, who's one of my closest friends and he's also gay. Um, so that was like really helpful for me. Someone in my family, you know, you go first, cousins. bitch. Literally. <laughs> Let's see how this goes. I think he came out to me when he was honestly like, 14 and I was 15. And I said, good for you. I'll see you in about five years. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so I'd been like on the phone to Damon and I was like, okay, I think I am, I think I should just do it. I should just do it. He was like, rip it off like a bandaid. So I just remember storming downstairs. They're outside. I fly open the doors. I run out. And before I can even think twice about it, I'm like, I need to tell something I'm gay. And so they were just like, sorry. What? Calm down. What? Yeah, quite literally a shock because you came running out to tell. They would have been shocked yeah. if you said the kitchen's on fire, but you yeah. came bursting out. I'm on fire. I'm flaming. Exactly. And I think Mum's first response was just like, oh, well, um, "Are you are you um, using protection?" And I was like, "Oh no!" Oh, like at that point, I hadn't even gotten with a guy. Yeah, I hadn't done anything sexual with a guy. I was just like. You know, I just I just kind of knew. Sure, but of course. At that point, I was like, "No, I haven't even like kissed a dude." 
And from there, we kind of had a really lovely conversation. But it wasn't until like, I want to say a week later, I got I got a call from mum and she was um, really upset and she she was crying. And I think it had finally hit her how much um, kind of like pain and silence like one of her children had gone through. And so she was just really upset mm. and it had kind of flipped and she, I think it had kind of sunken in, you know, how much I felt like I had to hide and had to not be myself. Very much, show me the boy at seven, I'll show you the man. And yeah. she almost felt really guilty and she felt like she didn't know if she'd done enough when, you know, she, to me, she's, you know, the greatest human on the planet. She did, she mm. did. But it definitely took a few days for, you know, the coming out to sink in. And then I think the emotions finally came through. But following that phone call, it really brought our entire family together, mum, dad, brother, because we hadn't really, you know, we were a really close family. But when it came to really emotional, deep discussions, I don't think we felt like, I guess, no situations had like arisen that... um had forced us to have really emotional in-depth discussions about our vulnerabilities. So it kind of unlocked this new bond between all of us where we felt like, okay, let's just all, you know, bear our cards and um, just talk, you know, no BS. It's fascinating because it's a story that I hear quite frequently is we were really close, but then after I came out, we got closer or mm. new shades of are the relationship formed. And it makes total sense to me. It makes total sense that you grew up in a loving environment and everything was fine, but you weren't actually being yourself at all. So you had a close relationship, but in many ways, those relationships, I don't want to say were built off lies, but I think partially I'm projecting my story onto yours, which is when you're trying to kind of like drop your voice and like be interested in a bunch of things that you're not actually interested in and you're trying to fit in and they tell you a funny story or something happens in the news and you're reacting superficially. I mean, you're reacting based off of a performer. And when you get to be your true authentic self, I mean, isn't that actually what parents, I imagine, I'm a parent, like what we all want from our children. Sure, it's good to get along, but what's even more exciting is to be able to see them be themselves. And so I imagine once that story happens where you said, actually, this is who I really am, and then she has to work through or they have to work through what that would have been like for you, you become f fully formed. You become this like mm. multidimensional human who's not just kind of moving through life. And that mm. to me, when parents talk to me in my DMs about, well, what can I do? I often just say, you know, when my child comes out, I often say, just get to know them. Like get to know the real them because this is their real truth and who you knew before was real in many ways, but it wasn't their, their fully authentic self. This is an opportunity for you to get to know them. And you're basically saying that's exactly what happened. It's like I come out and then the relationship just goes into the next stratosphere, which is amazing. Completely. And I also need to say you have the most beautiful children. Oh, thank you. I love um, their, their poses for photo shoots. Thank it's you. It's my favorite thing in the entire world. I think it's- Signs so you were raised by a homosexual man. Yeah. You know how to model by the time you're five. Exactly. <laughs> it is so amazing. But yeah, I, com I completely agree. I mean, I really saw a huge juxtaposition between my personalities and just my being when it came to, you know, not being out versus being out and trying mm. to discover, you know, who I am. And yeah, I think it definitely involved a process of kind of letting people in and, uh, you know, almost just reintroducing yourself in- you know, as your, your lovely gay self. Now, I would say anyone who knows you, follows you, has been in your orbit, thinks of you as like a, a definitely a fully formed, very comfortable person who's, who's confident. When you come out of the closet, that journey you're talking about, what did that look like? Did you tiptoe slowly? Did you sprint? Like you come out and then all of a sudden you're dating people. You come out and all of a sudden you start dressing differently. I think for a lot of people, they think of coming out as just words, but in many ways, it's much more than that. And I'd love mm. to kind of understand how do you go from coming out to who you are today, who seems very sure of themselves? Mm -hmm. I, I think it definitely involved a lot of uh, just trial and error. I mean, I definitely dived headfirst into the queer world, you know, dating and, you know, 
um, trying to express myself. And, you know, it was so liberating to just think, you know what, screw it. I'm going to wear whatever I want to wear. And I think at that point now, I, w- I just felt, I felt a bit hard done by, by the world. And mm. so I almost wanted to make you know, people feel uncomfortable with like the way I dressed and, you know, my unapologetic attitude. And so I was definitely, I feel like doing the most. And I think at that same point in my life, I then discovered nightlife and and queer spaces, mm. which was amazing and and liberating. But I think I became a bit too addicted to that nightlife. Sure. It's a double-edged sword, huh? <laughs> Always. And I started just to feel like, you know, these are the only real places that I can be myself. It just felt like an escape. But with that came, you know, this reliance on nightlife and this reliance on alcohol. Oh my God, did I drink way too much and all the time. And yeah, that wasn't good. Like looking back, that was really a vice that I, you know, I relied on and, you know, abused just so, so much alcohol. Mm. It's funny. I mean, it's not funny at all, but it's funny because it's a script that I've that I've heard a couple of times and I don't necessarily know that any one of us understands why, but when you put all of our stories together, it must mean that there's a, a serious overarching rationale behind it. And the only thing I can kind of, and this is such a little like inference, I have literally no idea what I'm guessing, is... We didn't get to explore ourselves mm. when we were 12 like everyone else did, right? All of the girls got to wear the miniskirt and put the pink in their hair and try too much makeup and not enough makeup and plucking their eyebrows and and flirting with boys and going too far and getting pissed drunk in their authentic bodies. And And for many queer people, that happens much later in life. And all of those scary explanations happen for many people when you have access to alcohol. And so when you're finally surrounded by all these people who look like you, a genuine community that mimics probably the community that straight people have had their whole lives, it's like giving a 13-year-old, I don't know, like Mm -hmm. endless supply of lollies. Like they're gonna grab them. And so I feel like for a lot of adults, you're finding out who you are, wanting to explore, which is a completely normal part of the human experience and you missed out on it and you're doing it much later in life and you have access to all these people who are beautiful and want to touch you and dance with you and they're social lubricant. It's like, it makes total sense to me that so many people grab on it, but why I said double-edged sword and you agreed is that obviously can be dangerous. And am I guessing that that was the case for you? Is that you, when you say abused, you literally mean you were drinking too much? Definitely. I think at, you know, at that time as well, I was just coming to terms with the fact that I was so unbelievably depressed and Mm. so unbelievably anxious. And I think up until that point, as you can probably tell from the discussion so far, I didn't really know how to uh, articulate my emotions well, um, because I just really hadn't. Mm. Um, So, you know, confronted with these newfound thoughts of like, okay, I've just come out, but also, wait, why aren't I feeling that euphoria that I felt when I first came out? Why did that disappear so quickly? And why am I starting to just feel really depressed and anxious all the time? Mm. Instead of really, uh, you know, focusing uh, and tackling those issues head on, I was like, you know what? Once again, conceal, don't feel. Yes. Let's have some tequila shots. Of course. Let's have some tequila shots. You can't unlearn a life of suppression, babe, right? It's like, what? Yeah. that's your go-to. Your brain has been wired. The synapses have decided that like when things are challenging or uncomfortable, run. Or in your case, take some shots. Completely. And so this was like, honestly, a good two, three years of my life that I just feel like, you know, disappeared so quickly because I was either drunk or like severely hungover. Mm. And, you know, part of me thinks like, I don't, I don't, I don't regret that part of my life. Cause I think it was just the way that I coped at the time. And I just, that was just my journey. But yeah, like looking back, cause now, now I definitely like, I still drink. I go out a lot less and I have a bit of a, a cautious mentality now when it comes to like nightlife and and drinking and going out just because of that period in my life. And I guess in the years that followed, I just felt like my relationship with alcohol was so turbulent and I knew I wasn't 
going out and drinking uh, from a good place or a good mindset. It was to to run away. Yep. And honestly, it makes total sense. What got you out on the other side? Like, how did you acknowledge that maybe you were drinking too much and maybe that that social lubricant was to suppress the fact that you weren't super comfortable with who you were? Like, what what got you from there to here? I needed to be shocked and in order to kind of change my habits. And that kind of, that changed one night. I want to say at the start of, um, 2017. Um, and like, this isn't kind of new info. I I wrote an article about it for SBS once. Um, but I haven't really spoken about it in a while, but essentially really big night out, lots of drinking, lots of drinking, lots of drinking, very much like blacked out, went back to a group of people's, like a random guy's house with his mates and one of my friends. And we ended up on the balcony and I, and kind of like content warning, everyone. I kind of remember being restrained from people. You know, my memory was so blurry because I had tried to throw myself on the balcony. Wow. Which then led to, you know, an ambulance ride and, you know, heading to hospital. And at that moment, you know, being in a space, kind of like coming to the the next morning and being in a hospital bed and, you know, mum and dad have come and, you know, my brother and sister-in-law are there and everyone's quite emotional and shocked. I needed, I needed to see the fear in their eyes to realize that it had gone too far mm. and that I really couldn't escape the sadness anymore or else it would ruin my life. And so I remember that being the real pivotal moment where I was like, I, for me, I, I was having fun. I was being really, you know, almost selfish and just indulging in so much booze and nightlife. But I hadn't really thought about how it affected, you know, like my closest circle, my, my family, the people I love the most. And as soon as I saw the pain that that night in particular put them through and how scared they were, I was just like, enough is enough. So I went to therapy. I started antidepressants. And I think from that night, I like did, ha- didn't drink for like eight months and really started to prioritize my mental health. But I needed that night in a very, you know, kind of strange way to kind of just force me into prioritizing my mental health. Wow. Obviously, that's a terrible experience, but it, like some terrible experiences, not all of them, is the uh, is the first step. And it sounds like that was a good first step. I'm interested in how much of that is sexuality-based. Like you said a perfect line that unfortunately I haven't been able to get out of my head, which is, how much of it is sexuality and how much of it is just like who you become because of this suppressed sexuality. It's like, Mm. you don't, we don't have to decide that it's because you were gay, all of this happened. But I don't think we also know that it's not because of that because a kernel can get stuck in your little baby brain when you're forming And then all of these other safety blankets kind of like form around it. And the next thing you know, you struggle with mental health. And the next thing you know, you struggle with communication. And the next thing you know, you struggle with intimacy. And the next thing you know, and it's like all of these bigger pieces. And so I'm interested in like, as you start to heal and you start to do the work, was a lot of it around your sexuality and not being able to be your authentic self? Or was it bigger than that? I definitely feel like sexuality might have been, I mean, might have been, it definitely was, you know, a main impetus into me feeling kind of, you know, anxious and and isolated. But I remember when I first started therapy and they were like, oh, okay, so you're gay. And, and okay, well then this makes sense. And I would get so angry and be like, no, but like, I literally just came from Puffdorf and yeah. I'm like going out to another club tomorrow night. I love being gay. Mm. So don't try to tell me that I'm sad because I'm I'm gay because I love being gay, but I'm also just really depressed. Yeah. And look, it's obviously a very multifaceted, I guess. I don't know. There's just there, there, there's so many layers to it. Um I think that be, being being gay or feeling like I was I was different definitely um uh created this mindset um within me that I wasn't I just felt so much shame. Mm. I felt so much shame. And then I think that was just exacerbated by by going out and not really knowing where I belonged still. So look, I think it was very intrinsically linked to my sexuality, but I think it was just the way that 
I learned how to repress and how to to not feel and just like a major identity crisis. Mm. It's helpful information because I know obviously sexuality and mental health uh, aren't intrinsically linked. There are many straight people who struggle with uh, depression and anxiety. Exactly, yeah. There are also a much higher risk of suicide within our community and much higher risks of people seeking out support. And I think that's the important element is they are... We're able to report on queer people needing therapy more because they seek it out maybe in a higher volume than, say, a heterosexual man who lives in the bush because that is uh, not something that uh, they're allowed to be felt proud of. So yes, we have to kind of pull those two things separately. Mm -hmm. Having a brain that is prone to anxious or depressive thoughts is not because you're a homosexual. They just might overlap. I think what I'm interested in is as you go through that journey, does it make it easier to be queer? And I'm also just interested in what your relationship is to your sexuality now. Is it something that you're proud of? Um, Yeah. Is it something that you're proud of? (laughs) Oh, I'm so proud. (laughs) I often have chats with a lot of my friends and we kind of joke when we say this, but we're, Kind of also not joking, but like I would be really sad if I was straight. No offense. Like <laughs> I would be really sad because being part of the community, being part of the LGBTQIA plus community is so fun. And I literally love it with all of my being. Mm. And, you know, gee, for all of the years that it took me to kind of get to a place of acceptance and happiness, I now am at a place where I am just so so content to be who I am and to be surrounded by such beautiful, inspirational people. Honestly, like 95% of the people um, that I hang out with now are part of the LGBTQIA plus community because they're so fun. Mm. And they're such beautiful, inspirational people. But yeah, it just it took it took a couple years of therapy to kind of realize how, you know, obviously much I needed to unpack and address, but how really thankful I am for A, the people around me in my life, but how thankful I am to just be gay. Mm. Like it's, it is so much fun. (laughs) There's an interesting unspoken language that I have been feeling this whole chat. And it's, I think hits the nail on the head a little bit, which is we don't actually have to say a lot about our story to understand that there's a lot that we have in common and it's it's not just the two of us as gay men who both use he him pronouns it is with lesbians and bisexuals and asexuals mm. and non-binary individuals and trans brothers and sisters it's this understanding we can look at each other and we get the struggle the journey because even with the most supportive families even with the best chance at success we're still forced to have an internal dialogue that just lives in our brain at a very young age that tells you you are different and that the world works a certain way and that you're not, your puzzle piece doesn't actually fit into the larger puzzle. And that's hard. So when you become an adult and you meet a bunch of other people who also had those same thoughts, that is euphoric. It is euphoric. Mm. So it's like, being a part of that larger community, that's why when you say to young people, it gets better and they hate it and they eye roll so far into the back of their head because they're like, it's not good now. So why are you telling me that? It's because the hope is at the end of the day, they realize what you're actually saying is there's a bunch of other people who struggled just like you. And on the other end, you're going to find them. And once you all get together, you're not going to have to talk about it anymore. You can just focus on being happy. And that is fucking beautiful. It is so beautiful. And literally like touching on that, that, it gets better. I think I, I just completely agree. Like, obviously, it's so frustrating to hear when you're obviously going through it mm. and you're like, oh, the world is crashing down on me. But I think the main shift that I have now, you know, growing up and, you know, now being an adult, I'm, you know, 27 this year, time is passing. I think whether it be when I was closeted or when I first came out and it was just angry and I wanted, you know, vengeance from the world. Mm. I was always focusing on other people and I guess how I was perceived and everything that I was doing was in relation to how I just thought about the, you know, immediate uh, environment around me. But growing up, I think my biggest shift for me was to just stop thinking so much about everyone Mm. (laughs) and how everyone thought of me and to just like be. And I've only kind of come to this place in the past couple of years, but Look, I'm still, I will always be an anxious girly. Let put that on record. I'm so anxious all the time. Mm. 
But when it comes to my identity and sense of self, I just have this calmness. It sounds cliche, but just like what will be will be. And I just, I just feel more calm because I'm not thinking about how other people will perceive me anymore. I'm just, I'm kind of just vibing. I love it. Is what would you say to young people who are growing up today? I, I'm hopeful and I believe it to be true that it is better now than it was back then. But if there's a young person listening or jumps into your DMs and says, I'm really struggling with who I am, and you get the chance to, to say something to them, what is it? It's hard because what I'd want to say to them is like, uh, like the, these years suck for you. Hey, <laughs> because that's they fine. Do. Sometimes it's nice to hear that, isn't it? No one oh. says that to them. <laughs> School sucks. Puberty is awkward and embarrassing. And growing up is yuck. Like, these are just really tumultuous years. Mm, So, like, feels because I would never... You couldn't pay me a million dollars to go back to that period of time in my life when I was growing up and experiencing puberty. No! So, my first thought would be condolences because, yes, it does really, really suck. (laughs) But I think my, like, immediate advice to them would be to know that... Right now, you feel like all of your experiences are so isolated, as we've spoken about, and that you truly are doing it alone. Mm. But there is such power in community. There is such power in finding people who share experiences to yours. And now it's 2022. There are so many resources available. So I would just say, like, okay, like, uh, you know, social media platforms like Instagram can be a really helpful way to find like-minded people to help find your tribe but also just like Google, like Google News, see who's coming out, research about their stories. And in kind of finding similar experiences, like you will definitely feel less alone. Amazing. That's a perfect place to end. If people want to find you and ask you any questions or come to you for coming out advice, where where would they find you on the interwebs? Uh, so on the Instagram, it's just Louis Hansen. TikTok, it's different. I think it's like Louis.Hansen. The drama. Somebody took that handle from me. How dare he? Yeah, Instagram and TikTok. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. I adore you. I adore this conversation. I adore the advice. I adore you too. This was really wonderful and have a fabulous rest of your week. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate you. This feels like a really important therapy session. But just once again, Sean, thank you for even just having this resource and this tool available. I think you're amazing. Thank you so much. You're far too kind. Okay, we are back. How are you going? How are you feeling? If this episode left you wanting more information about our wonderful LGBTQIA plus alphabet, then you should check out Minus 18. They're Australia's LGBTQIA plus charity. They have heaps of resources on their website and they run trainings for workplaces and classrooms. Minus 18 are on all socials at minus18youth and their website is minus18.org.au. But Minus 18 isn't a helpline. So if you're looking for support, you can call QLife on 1-800-184-527 for free every day from 3 p.m. till midnight. If you're feeling anxious and not up to talking on the phone, they also have web chat at qlife.org.au. Lifeline is also available 24 hours a day for crisis support and suicide prevention. Their number is 13 11 14. If you want to be a part of the Come Out Wherever You Are community, you can slide into our DMs on Instagram at Come Out Wherever You Are. You can also follow me at Sean Zeps. That's S-E-A-N-S-Z-E-P-S. Come Out Wherever You Are is presented by me, Sean Zeps, producer Lindsay Green, executive producer Jennifer Goggin, and audio producer Chris Marsh. Listener.